And, uh, you know, Alpha, uh, being creative and being faithful has meant a lot of work. I mean, I'm amazed on a Tuesday how much food shows up here. And, and it's coming from you as you've committed to bring and are excited to bring and contribute in that way. And I, I just think, on the, I think of what the Tuesdays are like, not only here in this building, but as many of you are preparing your, you know, casserole dishes and, and, uh, and uh, you know, crock pots and, and uh, contributing in such a significant way. So we're very thankful for, for you. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Um, because believe it or not, you stumbled into the first of a series on giving. Anyone want to run? Anyone hit the door right now? Well, before we even get into it, I need to ask you a question. So I need you to open up that bulletin or there's extra little sheets in the front of your, of your um, pews, benches. Um, and and it, it looks like this. Why do you give? And there is one for everybody. And I, we're going to be asking this question, why do Christians give? But I thought we should start the series by asking very simply, why do you give? Wherever space you're in, why do you give? And I'd like you to fill out the card. Now, it is an anonymous card. Please don't put your name on it. I really don't, I don't want to know what you give in that particular sense. But I'd like you to fill out why do you give, and if you're willing at the end of the service to actually put that in the offering plate when it passes. And here, here's why I want to do this. We like, this was an idea that came from one of our, one of our members, and uh, it, it, we talked about it with a number of people. The idea here is this. It would be great to be able to hear from each other, like, why do you give? And to be able to share that with each other. So what I'm asking you to do today is to fill out that little line, couple lines there. Why do you give? And just so that we can kind of make sense of the responses, if you're willing, please check the box that best applies to you. Do you regularly attend the Erickson Covenant Church? Do you occasionally attend? Or maybe you just aren't a church person at all. Check that. Because you might give elsewhere. You might, you know, uh, we're not making any kind of a assumption there, but to be able to kind of make sense of what the responses are, please check the box that sort of applies to you. But go ahead and fill that out. Why do you give? And I'm talking in particular, why do you give money? Why do you give money to this church? Why do you give money at all? And if you don't give, if you realize as you sit there with your pen, oh, I I don't give, well then ask, why not? Like, what stops me from giving? Um, Am I deeply in debt? Uh, Is that something I've just never heard of before, something I'm not familiar with? Um, am I really just a tightwad? I mean, what, what, what is it? You know, Why don't I give? What stops me from giving? And you might want to jot that down. and You can turn that one in if you want to, too. But you know, it might just be stimulating for you. Uh, these are, again, anonymous answers. So i uh, love you to fill that out. So do that as I, as I share a little bit more. We're uh, in the first of a series, as I said, on giving, but it's actually kind of an overlapping series because as, uh, if you've been traveling with us for a while, you know that we've been journeying through the gospel of Mark. And here we are in Mark chapter 10. And, and what we're doing today is looking at the last story that we're going to look at in Mark for a while. We'll pick it up again in the new year. The last story we're going to look at in Mark for a while, which will help us begin our series on giving. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to look at why Christians give. So it's going to kind of overlap with our Mark series and now into the giving series. As we've seen in the last few weeks, Mark has been focusing on a few areas, some very personal areas, where following Jesus really makes a difference. 
talked about marriage and divorce. Last week we looked at children and family life, but also what it means to become a child in order to receive the kingdom of God. And in today's story, we move from marriage and family to, to money. And it's probably one of the most famous money stories in all of the Bible. And it's going to launch us into this series. Now, I know as soon as maybe you walked in today, as soon as I said the word money, some of you started to fidget, right? Some of you thought, oh my goodness. And you're already eyeing the exits. You're wondering how much of a disturbance you would make if you just hit that crash door really hard and fast. Anyone think of that? Uh, uh, No show of hands. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, great. Finally, I decided to give in to whoever's been bugging me, telling, promising me that the coffee was great. And I decided to come to church. And sure enough, the preacher is talking about money. I knew it. I knew that's all they talked about. Every time I flip on the TV, that seems to be what they're talking about. I knew they were after my money. And all your worst fears have been realized. And you're wondering, maybe you can get away with dropping a fiver into the plate at the end of the service and just calling it good. I don't know where you're at today, but let me, let me just say this before we go any further. If you're new to church, I want you just to relax. I'm not talking to you today. And if you're visiting here today, I want you to just stay firmly seated on your wallets and enjoy the rest of us while we squirm. Because the message today is for those who would call this their church home. But hopefully this message will help you examine, you know, the question, why do you give is an important question for anyone to ask. And maybe you generously give money to other organizations. Uh, maybe you, you serve in a variety of ways. And that is wonderful. Thank you for that. And hopefully this message will, will help you explore even, even that. If you're just new to exploring who Jesus is, and I know a number of us are here today, uh, perhaps you've been coming to Alpha or you've been attending the Erickson Covenant Church for a while. I encourage you to listen to this message today to, to get some insight into why we give. Or why do Christians give? Why do Jesus followers give on a regular basis? Why do they give a portion of what they receive every month? Like, Why is this giving thing such a practice for Christians? And, and maybe uh, I encourage you, maybe you'll learn something from that. Money is a touchy subject. Most of us keep it really private. I'm probably the only person in the room you, you even know who, who makes what, right? You actually know what I make. I don't know what you make. We don't share that kind of information. We don't, we don't know, you know, we don't delve into people's personal lives. This is something we keep really, really private. And giving sometimes gets lumped into that, so that we, we never really talk about it. But I think it's something really important that we discuss and learn about as a community, particularly as a community of Christians. But the real question is, why would we do this series on money now? Is it just because we've been running a little short on our budget? No, it's not, actually. The reason why we're doing this series today on money in the next few weeks is, guess what? You asked for it. And you're sitting there thinking, I didn't ask for it. Well, look at the guy next to you, or the woman sitting down. She asked for it. You can blame her. No, back in a meeting in, like, May, we talked about this, and a whole bunch of you, actually an entire meeting, it was over 40 people, said, I quote, you need to teach on money. You need to teach something on giving. As, and, and it's not the silver bullet, but we decided, yeah, okay, we should do that. We should look at giving. And so we look for an opportunity to do that, and today is the day. The next few weeks is the day. The real focus of this series is going to be on those of us who call the Erickson Covenant Church their home church. We're part of this community. Uh, this is the body of Christians we travel with, we serve with, we celebrate life with, we, we love and we pray for. 
This is the building we gather in, which, of course, the building is not the church. The people are the church. But this is the building we identify with, the place where we receive teaching. It's the community that's kind of become home for us. So it's like this. If you had a visiting friend in town and you drove by this building and you looked down off the highway, down there, if you said to your friend, that's where I go to church, then this series is for you. Okay? We're going to talk very specifically to you, to us, about giving. We're going to ask, why do we give in particular? Why do we give money to this particular church? And if we don't, what is stopping us? And the goal is so that our financial giving is reflective of our love for Jesus, of our gratitude for his grace, and of our commitment to his mission. That's the goal. That's why we're talking about this. So let's dive in. Today's story is a classic story of what's often called the rich young ruler. He's a young, wealthy aristocrat. And um, he's a man that comes to Jesus seeking an answer to a deep, compelling, personal question. We're going to walk through this story together. Have you all filled out your forms yet? Have you all had a chance to do that? Okay, we'll dive right in. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, can you see this guy here? He's a good guy. You know, I, I, I thought about him and realized this is like, this is like one of those righteous dudes, you know, the kind of person that keeps God's law, treats people right, smiling all the time, the kind of guy you want to work with, the kind of guy you want to have as a neighbor, the kind of guy you want to have as a friend. He didn't even seem to get his wealth based on his responses, based on what we can get from the story. It's not like he got his wealth through fraud or trickery because he was an awful boss or something. This is a guy who likely is a generous and a caring guy, a stellar friend and a good neighbor. Everyone would have looked at this guy and would have kind of wanted to be like him. He's a model citizen. He had everything. And yet something was missing. Everything he had acquired, all that he had achieved and received, both his financial success and his moral goodness, none of that led him to a place where he felt true peace or true satisfaction. After everything, he still hadn't found what he was looking for. You know? So he came to Jesus, and I don't know exactly what he was hoping. I think he was hoping that Jesus would round things out a bit. Hoping that, that Jesus could tell him, you know, what he needs to add. Like, what he was missing. Like, what to do, what aspect of the good life or the God life that, that he needs to pay attention to so he could sort of beef up his spiritual portfolio. What did he expect Jesus to say? Did he expect Jesus to dig something unexpected out of the law? Did, did, he, did he think Jesus would remind him of something that he was missing? Did he assume that there really was nothing more that he could do, that he really was truly good, and, and that what he would hear from Jesus is, hey, buddy, just relax, you know? Be, be cool. You're great. You're in good shape. Is that what he was expecting? Well, whatever he was expecting from Jesus, he was devastated by Jesus' response. Listen to what happens next. Jesus looks at him, and loved him. It's the only place in the Gospel of Mark where we're told explicitly that Jesus loved someone. 
I mean, Jesus loved people. It was evident in his actions, in his life, in his healing, the way he lived and died. But it's the only explicit place where Mark says Jesus looked at someone and loved them. And I was reminded even there, it's, it's probably a challenge for those of us. Because let's be honest, some of us carry real prejudices around wealthy people. As though we aren't fantastically wealthy compared to everyone else in the world, we can still carry prejudices around wealth, right? Jesus looks at this man and loves him. Loves him. You're missing one thing, Jesus says. And I can see this guy, I can see him leaning forward. One thing? Oh, wow. It's like he, he's got his smartphone out and he's ready to put the notes down. What is it, Jesus? One thing? I, 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 I'm starting to feel kind of light, some relief here. One thing? One thing? Are you joking me? I've been doing hard things all my life. One thing? That's easy, Jesus. Hit me with it. One thing you lack. Go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, or, or maybe better translated, he went away grieved because he had great wealth. The one thing he lacked was the one thing he couldn't do. The one thing he needed to do in order to experience the kingdom life of Jesus was to give up his dependence on wealth and depend entirely on Jesus, but it was too much. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, all through this Mark study, we've seen this repeated, that following Jesus means giving up your own right to rule your life, handing your life over to Jesus, and then actually letting him lead. We talked about that last week, particularly when we looked at the challenge that Jesus said that we have to become like little children in order to receive the kingdom of God. And this represents probably the single greatest challenge of our life with Jesus, giving up our right to rule our own lives. And here's the thing about money and wealth. We believe that money is what sustains us. We believe that money is what keeps us safe and secure, that it's money that we need. Money is what we depend on. Money makes the world go round. And money holds a very special place in our hearts and lives, whether we have a little of it or a lot of it. And the place that money holds in our hearts makes following Jesus very difficult. The disciples are absolutely stunned by this news. It goes against everything that they had thought was true. You see, in their worldview, wealth was evidence of God's blessing, not a hindrance to his leadership. This is backwards. Money and wealth were viewed by the ancient Jewish cultures, but often in cultures today as indicators of one's righteousness, as proof positive that God was on your side, that you were doing things right. What does it mean for the, that it's hard for the rich to enter God's kingdom? The disciples were amazed by the words of Jesus. It just blew them away. So Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, using this hilarious image of impossibility, Jesus illustrates just how hard it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom. What is he saying? When it comes to following Jesus, your wealth doesn't help you. It hinders you. Make no mistake about it. Money is not some ally to discipleship. That's what Jesus is saying. Money can deceive us into believing that we've got what we need when what we really need is Jesus. Because the disciples see wealth as a sign of blessing, they take this news from Jesus pretty hard and they say, they ask the question on all their lips, well then, who can be saved? What chance do we have? If the rich can't get in and they're clearly blessed by God, look at them. Then what chance do we have? Poor fishermen in Galilee or farmers, carpenters and plumbers from Creston. What chance do we have at all? And Jesus looked at them and he said, humanly this is impossible. You're right. You're right. Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. See, from the moment that Jesus had shown up on the scene, he'd been announcing to people that the kingdom of God was near. And then he'd been demonstrating what that kingdom of God looked like as he touched people's lives, as they were healed as demons were driven out, as outcasts and sinners and people that had been excluded from God's family were suddenly welcomed into fellowship, as Jesus pushed back against oppressive authorities that held people down, he was demonstrating that this God is good and can be trusted. That God's kingdom is changing lives and that what Jesus is doing by redeeming men and women to God, by restoring lives, by bringing all of creation back into right relationship with God, That's not something we can do. It's not something we can dream up. It's not something we can make happen, whether we're rich or poor or otherwise. It's something instead that God is doing for us. It's something that Jesus has come and he's doing it among us. God is present and good things are happening as a result. But in order to respond to God's grace, in order to get in on what's happening, we need to be willing to give up the very life we've been depending on. The very way that we've come to trust our own resources, whether that is money or it's talent or gifts or positions or ethnicity or whatever it is, the things we've been depending on for life, we need to give them up to throw ourselves completely on the love and the grace of God. We need to become, like we saw last week, like little children dependent. That's tough. See, when Jesus calls this rich young man to follow him, this is the point. It's a call to follow him. This story is a discipleship invitation. Just like all the disciples before him, this man is called by Jesus to leave everything and follow him. But in order to do that, he has to change his allegiance because currently his allegiance was firmly planted in his own goodness and in his own wealth. And he's going to have to leave that all behind in order to move forward and gain what Jesus has for him into the future. He had to give up, you could say, the trinkets of today in order to get in on the treasures of tomorrow, treasures that are far greater and more life-giving than we could ever imagine. The takeaway from this story is pretty simple. Our dependence on money hinders our discipleship in Christ. Our dependence on money hinders our discipleship in Christ. The story kind of says, when money rules your life, whether you have a little or a lot, when money rules your life, Jesus can't. He can't. Now, hear me clearly. Jesus did not ask this man to give up his money in order just to make him poor, as though poverty is now suddenly a special virtue. It's not what he did. 
He asked him to give up his money in order to make him his disciple. Money was stopping him from full allegiance to Christ, from full experience of God, from the life that he really did always want. When we talk about money, we're talking about money here this morning, the next few weeks, the issue is often not really the money. The issue is Jesus himself. The issue is we've been called to follow him. And the call to give is the call to discipleship. Money, whether you have a little or a lot, can easily become our source of security. It can easily shape and form our identity. And Jesus calls us to follow him and to look to him for the sole source of our identity and our security. Well, how does this all connect to our practice of giving? Well, we give as Christians as a way of displacing our confidence in money and growing in our trust in God. When we give, we're displacing that confidence. It helps displace our security and our identity in money so that we can find our security and our identity in Christ. Christians give as an expression of their allegiance to Jesus, out of their love for Him, out of their commitment that nothing, not money, not resources, not talent, not position, that nothing comes between them and their relationship with God, between them and their dependence on Jesus. Christians give because disciples of Jesus are led by Jesus, not by money. Followers of Jesus depend on Jesus, not money. We serve Jesus, not money. We love Jesus, not money. So when we give our money, we not only declare our allegiance to Jesus, we also act out that allegiance in real-world terms. And we do that regularly. We get paid, we give. We do the math. We decide. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this much, and it might even hurt a bit. C.S. Lewis said, our giving should actually cause us to not be able to do other things. Our giving should actually be sacrificial enough that we're so committed to Jesus, we're so committed to what he's doing, that it actually affects our lives. And then we give because if we're not giving at least that much, I'm not sure if it's actually challenging our allegiance to money. We give regularly, we give sacrificially, we give generously in order to break the power that money has over our hearts. Declaring, really, in every act of giving, whether you give online, whether you give in the plate, whether you give to other organizations, as Tennille and I do as well. We give to the church, we give to other organizations as well. We give as an expression that we really have only one Lord, only one Master, only one Savior, only one King, and that's Jesus, not money. So in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to give our regular morning offering. I want to reiterate, if you're a guest here today, be easy. The plates will pass. That's okay. Don't feel obligation or pressure in any way, except I'd love to hear from you if you want to drop your little thing in the, in the plate. But let me conclude with this. You know, in this story, we see a rich young man come to Jesus. His wealth prevents him from experiencing all that God had for him. That's the story. Wealth had a chokehold on his life. And in spite of his desire for something greater, in spite of what something was missing in his life, he couldn't take that step. But do you remember, of course you remember, we're talking about Jesus, but do you remember who exactly he was speaking to? You know, who was this young man asking this other young man to give up his money in order to follow him? Jesus himself probably similar in age to this guy, he himself had given up 
untold wealth and power in order to become poor for us. I've never thought about this story this way until this week when I was, I mean, it's one rich young ruler saying to another rich young ruler, give it all up, let's be part of what God is doing. That Jesus knew exactly what he was asking this guy to do. He knew exactly what kind of sacrifice because he had made a much greater one. Jesus was asking him to give it all up because he had given it all up so that you and I, so that this young man, so that all people could know the freedom and the life that God has for us. You know, Paul captured it in a a letter that he wrote to some Christians in in the city of Corinth. The second letter he'd written to them, the second letter, chapter 8, verse 9, he said this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. When we give, when we follow the example of Jesus who gave it all up so that we could have his life in us, so that we could be part of what he is doing in the world, in our church, in our valley, amazing things happen. We follow the example of the richest young ruler of all time who didn't let wealth or money or comfort or position or privilege or power stand in the way of him doing whatever it took to love us, to rescue us, and to sacrifice himself for us on our behalf so that we could be free. There was nothing that could stop him. And he's inviting us to be part of that same mission. He's inviting us to join him at a heart level to say, Jesus, I don't want anything to stop what you want to do in my life, but I certainly don't want anything to stop what you want to do in our lives, in the lives of the people in our valley. And that's why we give. We break that allegiance, but we also want to be part of what Jesus is doing. No, listen to the last bit of this story in Mark. There's a promise that Jesus offers that I think we should hear as we close. You know, Peter spoke up because this challenge, you've got you to gotta leave it all behind. Peter goes, well, we did that. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me. And the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. In this final challenge, Jesus widens our scope. It's actually one of those verses. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not like if you give, suddenly I'll get a bigger home. What Jesus alludes to here is that as we give, as we follow him, he leads us into a new community where we find that we always have a home wherever there's a follower of Jesus, where we always have food, we always have provision, we always have fields that we can glean from. As we are now part of this family of God worldwide, that you can go all the way across the world and knock on someone's door and have everything you need cared for and taken care of because you're a follower of Jesus. But this is the world that God has brought us into as we follow Jesus, as we say, Jesus, you are the one we follow. You are the one we give everything up for. So today, we're going to give. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to give. It's a practical, I think, response to why we give. is to be able to, at the end of our services, give very specifically. And I want to challenge you today to give out of this gratitude for Jesus' life. 
And this act of giving is a way of displacing our trust in money and declaring our dependence on Jesus for our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you did everything on our behalf. And you offer life to us. But there are things in our lives, we're talking about money today, but things in our lives that that cause us to fear, fear giving it up because maybe we aren't sure we can trust you. Maybe we're scared of what that would look like to really depend on you for our lives. Jesus, I know that giving is part of that, something that you've called us to as a community, to be a generous people, to be a giving people, and in particular even to examine our giving to the church. And so today, as we give, or maybe as we reflect on our giving over the next few weeks, I pray that you would, you would show us the areas where we haven't been trusting, areas where we've been holding on to dependence on money or position or whatever it is, and that even in our acts of giving this fall, that we would be growing in our dependence on you and our love for you and our excitement for what you're doing in our lives. We ask that you would bless this offering. That you bless the money, that the money would be used to continue to restore the broken and, and, and find the lost and, and the amazing stuff would continue to happen as you are at work here. But also as we give today, that you would do something in our hearts, that that act of giving would, would begin to move us, that would begin to shift our allegiances, that this act of giving would be a powerful reminder of your love for us and your call in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.